Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Bobby, it seems like every time we record an episode, there is something that happens in baseball immediately following the recording of that episode. Even when we put out a midweek podcast, we still managed to miss an entire news cycle. What did we miss an entire news cycle on? The halting of baseball games due oh, to protests. Yes. Fair. Well, we didn't totally miss that news cycle. We did no, talk we about caught, it a we caught, little we bit. We caught both midweek. ends. Yes, we we um we missed getting right in the center of that news cycle, but that's okay. That's okay. I don't. Is anybody we listening to some, this podcast for news? Is anyone coming to us to be like, I wonder what Tipping Pitches thinks on these protests over uh, black people being gay? There might be people who are coming to us for that, and to which I say, thank you for that. That's you know that's why that's what we're here for. And to which I say. Um, you're in for a great conversation then, because we uh, were joined by Shakia Taylor, writer for multiple places right now, most frequently baseball prospectus. Um, a wonderful writer, wonderful person, has been on the podcast two times now. This is her third time on the podcast. And it's a long and sprawling conversation. So Alex and I are not going to BS too much up top because we are going to do three da- three up, three down in on the back portion of this podcast um so we're going to go to our conversation with shakia right now before we do that i'm bobby wagner i'm alex basley and you are listening to tipping pitches all right bobby we uh we have on with us friend of the pod this is a third I think third time guest at this point. This is we're reaching rarefied air here. My co-host, uh, yeah, Shakia Taylor, <laughs> third co-host yeah. of Tipping Pitches. Welcome back. You're at invite yourself <laughs> you. on level. <laughs> yes, Thank exactly. You. Welcome to my episode, everyone. <laughs> uh, Shakia obviously writes for for Baseball Prospectus. Um, most recently, had a piece come out this past Friday on Jackie Robinson Day, entitled. Dear Jackie, and uh, it's a it's it's what it sounds like. It's a letter to Jackie Robinson, and there is a uh, there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack with that, um, but it's a really compelling piece, and we'll link to it in the uh, in the description. But first off, Shakia, can you just tell us a bit about like what the inspiration? for this was you came on this past off season and we talked about um, after Jackie, the book. And so clearly this is the kind of thing that you have been meditating on for a while. Um, what was kind of the, uh, I guess, inspiration for you to sit down and write this letter to Jackie Robinson? Um, one of the things that I feel like I kind of accidentally was campaigning on for a while here is that, um, you know, Jackie Robinson's image was 
just completely whitewashed. It was just completely changed. And um, it just really bugged me after George Floyd was murdered and it took, you know, MLB nine days to say something. And they immediately went to Jackie. Um, And I believe the Dodgers did it too. And in both instances, they sort of use Jackie Robinson the way the rest of the world uses Martin Luther King Jr. Um, Jackie wouldn't have approved of your behavior, Black person. Um, MLK was a very peaceful man, angry Black person. And after a while, you get really tired of your cultural icons being sanitized for the comfort of other people. And that piece, a lot of people have called it emotional. Um, And perhaps it's because I didn't write it this past week. I didn't even write it the week before. I wrote it in June. That goes to show you that nothing has changed in the last two months even, right? Not a single thing, not not the league's response, not anything. And so um, one night I was laying in bed and um, I live in Chicago for those of you who don't know. And there were just sirens just going all night long. And I was tossing and turning and I live in a generally quiet neighborhood. Um, and so that's not common, you know? Um, you have your average city sounds, right? You hear the police, but it's not a consistent overnight thing. And I was tossing and turning and I, you know, I jump on Twitter and I see these posts again and I see, you know, just everything and everyone is, everything is just chaos. And I guess I'm a writer in my heart, really, because in the midst of that kind of chaos, I just pulled out my laptop and was like, I'm going to write until the battery dies. And that is how that piece happened. It was like, I just started typing. The first words I actually typed were baseball, apple pie, and racism. And it just kind of went from there. Like I, every day I would go back and I type a couple hundred more words or I take out, you know, and it started out as a very like angry, hopeless kind of piece. And it evolved as my feelings started to take shape and I was, you know, able to process, but that's where it came from. That was probably a really long description, but like, that's where, that's why people keep saying it's an emotional piece, I think, because I went through a lot of things, you know, in the span of the last couple of months, you don't even have to count, you know, things that I've experienced in my life, just the last couple of months. And it's just all packed into those words. Yeah, I I was so moved by some of the positivity that you were able to get to by the end of it, talking about some of the younger prospects and everything. And um, going forward from here, you know, because we t- you talk about in the piece, you talk about how MLB and the commissioner and the front offices of every team are all complicit in the way that baseball contributes towards white supremacy in American culture. And I wonder, like, Aside from some of those positive notes that you touched on in this piece, like if there was a calendar over the next 12 months that you would look at and think, 
this is the right step. We're in the right direction, at least. What what would something like that look like? Because it seems like MLB is so stuck in its ways and so stuck with the fact that baseball is happening all the time and like they can't possibly change everything all on the fly because there's so much history built into what MLB is and there's so much that needs to change contextually with MLB like in the fabric of it, which is something that you you talk about in your piece. And so I'm wondering like if there was a calendar in the next 12 months, I know this is a really hard question and an impossible question to ask, but something that we can talk <laughs> through together. Mm-hmm. What would that calendar look like for us to think, hey, at least the ball is rolling in the right direction now? Um, honestly, I I don't I feel like the trend, the thing that I keep bringing up is like acknowledge, right? If the greater population just acknowledged that racism is real, that it is something we experience, that specific groups are participatory, whether it be, you know, on purpose or not, you know, um, I know people keep using the word, it's time for a conversation. Okay, so let's get to it. Like, no one wants to talk about the ugly. Everyone wants to kind of dance around it. Like, you know, if I have this event where I sort of acknowledge you, then that's me doing the job. That's not it. And I think what people are expecting is there to just be this like giant immediate shift. Oh my God, racism is gone. We kneeled for the anthem and we held hands. And I think we really have to understand that this is a very ugly thing. And it's just like any other problem. The first thing you have to do is acknowledge there is a problem. Talk about what your role in said problem is. The word that you use that sticks out to me and that I've been trying to um, trying to put into words why it frustrates me the way that MLB talks about it and the way that a lot of players and and managers and executives talk about it is like they keep saying like you're talking about Shakia, they keep saying we need to have more conversations, but they're just having conversations about how they need to have more conversations right. as opposed to having conversations about what are some actions that they can do. And when Alex and I talked midweek this week, in the in the short 15 20 minute segment that we did before our last podcast can we have conversations about we obviously can't i'm being facetious here but can we have conversations about what the owners can actually do like what the people with the power in the room can do as opposed to having conversations about like what the players might be able to do or right. what certain bench coaches might be able to do with like signaling that they're welcoming to the black community like i i just feel like saying you're having a conversation is just like pushing it down the road. You know, you're not actually doing anything. And as a league, I feel like every time something like this happens, um, and I should say that something like this is many teams decided not to play their games this week in protest of another incident of police brutality in Kenosha. And I just feel like MLB's MO is to just continue to push that conversation down the road and say that they're having the conversations and then like every offseason rolls around and then it goes radio silent and nothing actually changes in the time that it could change well they're doing the thing it's it's corporate speak right where we have a meeting about the next meeting um we have a meeting to plan the agenda for next year um it's just corporate speak and what they do is they just kind of kick the ball further down the road like oh we can talk about this i mean look at I have to use this as an example because it's like 
perfect. Look at how long the Cleveland baseball team has been telling us they're changing the name. I mean, I always say this, you can count it in my age. Like <laughs> They have been doing it almost my whole life. And um, that is the story of these things is everyone wants to talk about, you know, the conversations. Let's have it. I mean, we live in a society where people won't even call me black. Like they, it's, we, we have to get out of this idea that we can't say things, that we can't call people what they are. I am a black person. I am proud to be black. Being black is not a burden. You don't have to call me a person of color when you know that I am black. Like now, if there are a group of people I get it. But if it's just me, come on. You you know that. It's just little things that we can do as far as like acknowledgement. And I think Major League Baseball needs to acknowledge their hand in just, I mean, again, the sport is mirroring life. It's time. And if you look at just the Negro Leagues celebration that they had, no one talked about why there was a need for a Negro League. Did you notice that? No one said we were so racist that they had to create a separate league. Their records don't even count because we're also so racist that we won't view them as a professional league. Like, it's, just, I mean, just imagine if they had been like, this league was created because we were jackasses. It would, it would be phenomenal. So I think in, in a calendar year, I would really love it if that happened. If someone stepped up to the plate and was like, hey, you don't have to necessarily name specific things of each team, <laughs> but you know, you could just say, I did this thing. And I think it would it would start a lot of the conversations that they're completely avoiding. But I do want to add, though, this year's Jackie Robinson Day celebration felt different. Um, shout out to Randy, uh, Randy Wilkins, for that beautiful short film that actually showed Jackie Robinson as an activist. And... Um, Lindsay Adler even talked to Sharon Robinson, his daughter, and she mentioned that she knew her father as an activist, not as a ball player. And that's the kind of thing that I think they should continue to do. Like, tell the truth. I loved that. I honestly could have complained about things that day, but I was just so caught up in the fact that we were seeing the real Jackie Robinson for probably the first time ever in a celebration like that. And it was on a national level. And, you know, I watched a few different broadcasts and everyone was participating. And it was amazing. It was much more somber. Perhaps it's because the state of the world right now. Um, but that is a positive and I didn't want to leave that out. That was definitely a positive. Let's yeah. start telling the truth. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that people tend to shy away from that. I mean, obviously, because it's uncomfortable. No one, yeah. no one wants to talk about that. No one wants to talk about stuff that their ancestors did two or three centuries ago. A lot of it, at least on my end, probably wasn't great. Right. So like, but no one is sitting there and pointing the finger and saying, hey, Rob Manfred, you created and then destroyed the Negro Leagues. It's just like, 
it's this acknowledgement of institutional failure and saying, first, we have to admit that these, these things happened, push through the uncomfortable aspect of that, and then we can actually get to the part of the conversation, the conversation where we actually maybe start doing something about that. Um, I was so struck by how relevant, sadly relevant, Jackie Robinson's words were that you quoted mm -hmm. in the piece when he talks about, um, you know, if we don't start, uh, start addressing this, this violence and murder that's happening in the streets, people are going to start rising up and taking action into their own hands. And, you know, no one wants to see the destruction of cities or anything like that, but this is the kind of thing that has to happen for people to start paying attention. And that I, I was, I like took a step back. I was like, <laughs> what, what year is this? That's one of the, one of the things about that piece is, so it's a, actually a part of a series at B-Pro. Um, and a few other um, Black writers, we thought it would be a good idea to kind of take Jackie's words, his actual words, the things he has written himself, and put them out there and say, hey, wait, but he said this. You're saying this about him, but it directly conflicts with who he was himself as a person. And one of my favorite things, I was actually discussing this with a friend, um, is how whenever you tell someone that someone was a little more radical than they think they are, they're like, how do you know? Their own words. If you just pay attention to the things that were left for us, Jackie was not a quiet man. Um, his op-eds are, if you ever have time, amazing. Um, he had a lot of views on things and, you know, he started a bank, like, because of housing discrimination, things that we're experiencing right now today. Um, and so his words are important. I think, I think it's important. It's a good step in the direction of saying, okay, uh, let's leave this hero alone <laughs> and stop using him to sort of beat down people who he would actually himself be marching with. Yeah, this is a man who carried out a public conversation with Malcolm X, right? Like, like he was not at all quiet about that sort of thing, mm -hmm. which I think is really, really important to point out. Even, even the way we talk about Malcolm X, who is taught in history books as the more radical version of Martin Luther King, or is taught in history classes like the way that you're growing up, we're, we don't actually engage with what he was asking for and the things that he was talking about. We're just like, he was Martin Luther King, but louder and angrier. Like, that is the way that the history is taught. And so, yeah, I mean, you're so right in that. I think drawing the comparison to the way that the rest of America and the way that baseball mirrors that thinks about someone like Martin Luther King, who was anti-capitalist, like who was radical, who did support looting, like all of these things that we just don't engage with about these figures. We value like their peace in the face of their trauma much more than we value the actual things that they were asking for. And yeah, I don't, doesn't it seem so 
unbelievable. Like you can't even picture Rob Manfred ever getting up in front of a microphone and talking about something like that, even engaging with it, even fielding a oh, yeah, question about it. It just doesn't seem it doesn't seem within the realm of possibility. Well, what you just said, and I want to kind of highlight it is, well, I think one of the problems is being anti-racist goes with being anti-capitalist and well, yes once you start trying to remove the capital from things it gets a little murky for some people mm-hmm. and i think that is the hold up right now that is why the labor strike because that's what it was like that yeah. is why that was important because they were in a way attempting to affect their bottom line. I mean, a lot of people had to come up with what to do. There were no sports. I mean, of course, there were a couple of baseball games, but, you know, um, that's going to happen. <laughs> but like, And just a couple of games it. without the Black players on the field, which was... Oh, uh, my gosh. Can you imagine? Not so, great optically. Oh, historically, you now... It doesn't matter what you did the next day. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you had a conversation after the game. It doesn't matter that you probably wore your Black Lives Matter shirt home. It doesn't matter. What matters is that when it counted, when the world was looking, you didn't show up. Because I remember sitting in front of my computer and watching people say, oh, the Brewers are scheduled tonight. Are they going to play? And admittedly, I was like, hell yeah, the Brewers are going to play. (laughs) That is a baseball team. They are going to play. And then when I saw that Josh Hader was saying they were going to have a discussion, I was like, I literally tweeted that hell was about to freeze over. (laughs) And then I started offering ice cream, right? (laughs) Like... (laughs) I I mean, I had to come back and say, anybody want ice cream? Because, but it's important. They are, that is a good example of anti-racism and anti-capitalism having to be married. They have Mm -hmm. to be married. Um, And that may be the thing, right? Like that keeps Major League Baseball from actually admitting anything because they would then have to reconcile their monetary uh beliefs (laughs) yeah yeah and the 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 generations of wealth that they built on both one segregating baseball and Mm -hmm. then pillaging the negro leagues for all of their best players and putting them out of business like that when we talk about reckoning for owners and for the league as a whole like that is the that i think that is the first step into the conversation is even acknowledging that the reason that baseball is the booming business that it still is even if it is not the same business that it was in the 70s and 80s, is all because of generational wealth that was that was stolen. Oh, absolutely. And then they're like, hey, the Negro Leagues, they're making so much money. Let's crush it. <laughs> Let's crush Damn, it. Yeah, they you got know? a good thing going on over there. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even consider a way to coexist. They were like, oh, look at that. They're making so much money. I actually was looking at the numbers recently and it's like oh the negro leagues are making like two million dollars two million dollars in that time is a ton of money Mm -hmm. so like it's like 
you get it now, right? Like, oh, but that's still them, you know, and their capitalism and racism because it's all intertwined. I mean, I think we're all learning as we kind of go here. And the more I read, the more I, I study, I'm just starting to really recognize that like we got to separate multiple things and it's generational. It's deep. You know, our grandparents <laughs> have lived it and it's, it's going to take a long time, but I don't know, maybe, you know, we can move the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, first of all, I want to say the fact that the St. Louis Cardinals and the Chicago Cubs were, and the Colorado Rockies and, and the Colorado Rockies, um, but like the, the Cardinals and the Cubs who I feel like are often touted, we talk about, you know, like, like baseball, like, like legendary franchises, you know, yeah. like Original ESPN, clubs. ESPN loves to have them on like every Sunday night baseball possible when there's not a Yankees Red Sox game going on. The fact that those two organizations like picked that side, I think, um, felt very telling right about where where baseball's like uh i don't know institutions stand on that sort of thing yeah. what were you gonna well, say it's interesting though like what it, that they're like the baseball centrists you know like they set the tone for like what what is like because the, the oldest clubs you know they set the tone for what is the climate of baseball and when those teams do something it matters when the yankees do something it matters and the yankees are obviously the the most conservative franchise in major league baseball but I do want to ask you guys about that, though, because in the follow-up to when the Cubs decided to continue to play, it was reported, and they, they talked about it on Baseball Barbecue this week, but it was reported that Hayward himself had said to the manager, David Ross, that he wanted the team to continue playing without him. He didn't want to play that day, but he didn't want the team to have to skip the game entirely. I don't know why. Like, I don't want to prescribe my motivations on to J- why Jason Hayward said that, but I want to get both of your perspectives on whether you think they still should have not played. Of course not. I, <laughs> okay. And I want to right. speculate I, on why Jason Hayward said that. I okay. want to. I'm going to. Here's what I think. You don't tell other people like get in loser we're going protesting. Like that's <laughs> not yeah. how it works. Like mm. particularly when it's about your life. And that would be like the three of us. And I, and I say, I'm not doing that because, you know, it's racist. It's whatever. But you can go, but I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And, and we're like, oh, okay. Well, you said we See could ya. go. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah, okay, sounds right. good. We checked that mm-hmm. box. Well, we're we feel go to the, okay about the, it. The, the Love America rally. I mean, as long as you said you were cool with it. And that is how I view it. Like, think about like, for years, non-white players in the league have not been empowered. It doesn't matter what number of you know them exist in the league. It's still the institution itself is very white and it's super conservative. And I mean, just Roberto Clemente was an activist. You don't hear about it, right? In fact, the media dissed him. They said he was mean and all kinds of stuff. But really, he was just righteous. And Mm -hmm. so if your teammate 
this is the person who you say you will, and I hate this phrase, go to war with. Like, but he says, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit this game out because you know the police are still killing people that look like me, and it matters to me. But you go ahead and play. Go ahead and play. I'm totally fine with it. What person in their right mind is like, he's cool with it. Let's go <laughs> yeah. out there. Play yeah. ball. No, I just think that I'm sure it was not. I'm not sure, actually. Maybe it wasn't a malicious decision on the part of the teams who played, you know. However, intent does not it doesn't negate what happens it doesn't negate that optically you left your man out by himself period and then you know he had a teammate who's supposed to be his friend who wore a cpd cap with a blm shirt and it went unaddressed because you know he's a good guy He's cool with Jason Hayward. Imagine people were literally saying that to me. Like they were pulling the black friend card on a black person. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Kyle Schwarber, he just respects both sides. You know, he just wants everyone to to get along. Yeah. That's at least what everyone kept saying to me. His mom's a cop. I don't care. Like, I, I just, I really believe that when you care about someone, you know, you get in there with them. That goes along with why I say I don't want allies. Accomplices. Accomplices. Are we in it together? Do we have the same goals? Are we working cohesively to achieve these goals? Like, this is about humanity. At the Mm. end of the day, I don't care what team wins. I don't. I do care that another person does not get killed by the police. It doesn't matter what their record is. It doesn't matter what the situation is. That's not how the law is supposed to, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, I just don't think they were being good teammates. And I will ride that forever. I don't care how many writers at The Athletic write justifications. I am going to ride that one forever. They should have sat out, period. Yeah. yeah. Well, and especially MLB teams, which are so like tuned into PR, you know, like you'd have, you'd have thought that there was someone in that organization, you know, like MLB teams love to make sure that their image looks good. You, you would have thought that there's someone there who was like, hey, all these other teams are sitting out. What's it going to look like if, if Jason Hayward sits out and the rest of us go out and play, you know, like, was that ever a conversation or was it just kind of like, yeah, no, he, Jason Hayward said it was, it was cool with that. You know, like there's a total disconnect with that sort of thing. Um, On the, on the topic of PR, I guess, zooming out a little bit, I'm curious your kind of um, perspective on, the, the moment in baseball, I guess, three months ago at this point, close to three months ago, um, when protests were first kind of springing up all around the country and baseball teams felt compelled to address this versus um, right now. I'm curious kind of what feels 
different for you and if it um, feels like a step in the right direction, something that we can build off of? I've been trying really hard not to um, be super cynical. However, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, It's kind of like, I think about like with my voice, right? I have kind of a lower voice for a woman. And I often pitch up to appear pleasant, (laughs) happy, whatever. And so when I was writing my piece, I felt that at the end, like this is way too, way too negative. This one, this one has to end with some positivity. And, you know, I'm trying, I think, to find a little hope. Um, I don't think, honestly, that any of any kind of real change is going to happen in the next five to 10 years. Um, I honestly believe that this will be a fight for people after us still. Um, I mean, there are there's some hope. Not much. But I I look at like the Mariners, right? And they have nine black players. And I mean, we still celebrate the first time <laughs> there is like an all black and Latino lineup. We still celebrate that. In fact, the anniversary of that day is coming up September 1st, September 1st, 1971. Why do I know that date? Why is it ingrained in my mind? Because we still live in a time where we're still having to celebrate and recognize these things. And so I think we're just a long way out. I mean, I think there's hope in, in the current players. I think there's hope in the fact that people are tired. And, you know, at this point, I would say from June to now, what MLB seems to be learning, but not fully, is that if you want to make money, not being racist is pretty good PR right now. Like, I mean, just from a strictly financial, not even talking about moral perspective, right now, most people are buying things from places they feel have good ethics. It is a boon to be not racist or to not appear racist, I should say. And that's where they keep fumbling. Like they keep fumbling because right now they're trying to both sides it. They're trying to both sides it. Like, you know, how can we not make this segment of the population angry while kind of tempering this other side of the population? And, you know, Uh, in June, I was just depressed, like just sad. And I don't process sadness well, so it becomes rage and everything makes me mad. Everything makes me mad. Not like in life, just any, any sort of stressor with regard to this kind of thing. It just continues to make me mad. Now I kind of, I laugh uh, because <laughs> racism is ridiculous. Like, take a moment and think about how stupid it really is. Like, just think about how illogical one has to be. And 
that's where I am. From June to now, the PR could be better because they could just, just say it. Hey, look, we do not condone racism anymore. Because you can't say ever. You can't say ever. We got to stop this whole zero tolerance lie. And they have to come to terms with that not being racist also includes everything else. Not being homophobic, you know, not being transphobic, not being misogynistic. Like all of these things are married. I feel like I have a theme going today, but all of these things are married. That's why I love when someone is like, you know, uh, all lives matter. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying too. Like, yeah. Good. We're so saying, we, ag- we agree. We totally <laughs> agree. Like, hello, welcome to my side of things. And yeah. I don't know. You got to laugh at it all. I really think just to, keep crying yeah yeah you know something that you said in there they're just they're that mlb is just holding out until they think that enough people agree with them to change their stance on things like i wish that the sport that i love was not run by a league that waited for the exact moment that the overton window shifts and they can actually support people like be pro people be be pro communities that need their institutional support, be a leader. You know what I mean? And this is what Alex and I were talking about the, the stark contrast between the WNBA and MLB. And you pull one layer of that onion back and you, you think why? Well, number one, the WNBA is a league of women who are much more radical because they have been oppressed more than all of the men in MLB. And number two, their league has less money to lose, so to speak. They they are less capitalist in their roots because they are, for whatever reason, for a history of sexism in this country, they're tied to the men's league, which already has a shit ton of money. And I just wish that MLB could just make its own Overton window on things like these. I wish that they could make their own. They could just decide, you know what? We're just going to cut bait with all of the old ass fans that don't they're not on board with this because this is the direction it's going and we need to do it because we are compelled to do it but they don't they obviously don't feel compelled to do that they obviously don't feel any urge at all to be the leader on anything and it's just so frustrating but you do kind of have to laugh at it you do kind of have to laugh at their own failures and misgivings sometimes because like the answer is right in front of the right in front of their faces it's actually engage actually cut bait with all of these fans who are causing this to be the problem and they don't want to do it my my biggest thing is like i really don't think as many fans would like flee the sport as say they do you know like if if major league baseball came out and said black lives matter at the beginning of every game yeah there'd probably be some people who are like this is too much for me you know which fine get out by but like the casual fan doesn't need to engage with that sort of thing they might like it or dislike it but at the end of the day like this is a this is a stance the league takes that does absolutely nothing to affect your enjoyment of baseball as a thing right if mlb is like hey we're anti-racism i'd be like okay cool. That's, that's a start, you know, so like 
but the baseball is still going to be the same. Like there's still nine innings and, you know, like there's, there's no change to, to anything, right? It's just like believing in general human rights. Oh, okay, cool. Like I'm on board, you know, like <laughs> I, I, it feels like one of those things that most people would get used to. Well, if there was ever a time to make that sense, it'd be now. There's nobody there to boo. There's no one there to not buy any tickets. (laughs) They have enough time to completely forget about it. Like, completely forget about it. Because let's be fair, we're probably not going to be going to any games in April of 2021 either. So this is a decent time to just be like, this is who we are. This is what we stand for. Come get it, right? Because, I mean, ultimately, like, do you really want a product that is associated with Nazis? Like, do you really want a product? It's it's just kind of like, why? Why would yeah. you care? Why, and why are you interested in being the Proud Boys sport? I just don't, I just don't get it. it this is just a ton of bad decisions wrapped into one. Like, it doesn't make a single... This is what I keep saying. Racism is stupid. I mean, it doesn't make sense. So much so much effort. You have to bend over backwards and twist yourself into so many pretzels to make the world make sense to you. Right. When you could just mind your business. Like, not to sound like somebody's mom right now, but like... That's what this is all about. This is about other people not minding their own business. Like my skin, it's not bothering anybody. It's not affecting anybody. Um, When I was little, my my sister used to sit at the kitchen table with my grandma, and my grandma would be looking at her, and my sister would turn to my grandmother and go, "Why are you looking at me? Stop looking at me!" And my grandmother would go, "Well, you wouldn't know I was looking at you." you weren't looking at me. <laughs> and that is kind of how I feel about this whole situation. Like just if everybody just minded their own business and didn't think that, you know, my business needed to be the same as your business, we'd be in business. Like it would be great, but that's not where we are right now. I am sort of curious and maybe we can start to wrap up on this question. I am sort of curious like what how does baseball get the message that this needs to be the thing that they spend their entire offseason thinking about. Like, no more thinking about how to undermine the players' union. No more, you know, no more thinking about expansion. No more thinking about rule changes. No more thinking about TV deals. None of that. Everything needs to be put on pause, and this need, they need to spend the entire offseason recrafting their stance on MLB as an anti-racist organization. MLB's complicitness in racism in this country and and how it appeals to certain fan bases and its accessibility problem. I just feel like if this wasn't the year that sent them that memo, I'm not entirely sure how like we as a baseball community send them that memo between now and the fall. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get it. I think MLB has to, well, when you only hire people who agree with you or like only hire people who say yes. Or went right? to Harvard or like went to Brown or yeah. Right. Or, like, yeah or, or look like you, right? Mm-hmm. Like let's be like these have, conversations yeah, are the same lived experiences as you. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. There is no difference of anything. And I mean, that's kind of, I guess, the memo that needs to be sent because whoever they're listening to, you know, 
is not giving them good information. Whoever they're listening to. McKinsey, not sending out that good report for them. (laughs) They're not getting good intel. This is all just whoever. I mean, but think about it. Like this, we all know it. Everyone knows it. There is never really much dissent in professional sports. You really don't hear too many people saying too many things bad about anyone at the top. Like, obviously, it's cool to hate the commissioner of, like, every league. Like, that's (laughs) fine. But, like, you don't really hear people, like, just dragging owners. In fact, let's do that. I would like people just drag the owner of your favorite team. Like, I feel like because they're paying attention. They're, you, they have people paying attention. They're watching Twitter and all of that. And like once the tide changes, we keep saying this, but once the tide changes and more people just start absolutely going at them, they, they're going to have to make a choice. It's just like what happened the other night. People started looking at them. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I mean, I was actually surprised that they took a step back and was just like, we respect the players. Yeah. Like, that was a giant surprise to me. I was like, oh, great. Can't wait for this statement later that completely makes this a terrible situation for everyone involved. Um, so hire fewer people who agree with you. That is a nice place to be. Start there. Yeah. Well, and I think that it's going to have to come from the players ultimately, right? Because they have the most leverage in this situation, right? They can choose to sit out if they want to. They are the the ones who actually have those lines of communications open. I'm not saying that um, Jason Hayward is going to go sit down with the Ricketts or whatever. Like, he shouldn't have to do that. But, but you know the- who should? The white players. The white players are the ones who can lead this action because look what happened the other night (laughs) the president of baseball operations as well the gm (laughs) as well everybody's favorite young white (laughs) superstar gm needs to do that as well he has a lot of power in this in this equation sorry to interrupt you no no do it when there were like just look at it like this right the cubs were able to field an entire team because even though they're black players that well one black player they have more than one now Um, but Jason Hayward sat out and the Cubs are able to just slide someone else in there. However, if all the white players on the team had opted to sit out, they would not have been able to field a team. Mm -hmm. And that is the difference right there. Like, yes, players do have power, but it's not the ones of color. It's not them. It's the white ones. It's those are the guys who could do a lot and they also push the whole you know we're having conversations i'm listening this is not an episode of fraser this is like people's real lives stop listening listen and work listen and work i think like you know i'm reading and working and volunteering and it takes multiple steps you can't just you know post some cool shit on your Twitter, pardon my language, and, you know, be like, we support, no, I think it does come from the players, but it's got to be, it's got to be the white ones. I know it's tough, you know, it's tough to just acknowledge that (laughs) other people don't get treated as well as you. Um, That, man, if there was some collective, oh, hey, there's a union. 
Oh, very there, interesting. There's a group who's supposed to look out for player interests that already exist. Oh my God. That's amazing. You might be onto something there. I know, there's, right? there's yeah. power and collective labor. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you did see it. Like, I almost feel like what happened in baseball and to some extent what happened in basketball too didn't last long enough for the spotlight to move off the players and onto the owners. But the longer you wait, the longer that there's not sports, the the fans, the public, the consumers of this product are going to look for someone to blame, for someone to have accountability. And a lot of fans are going to do it in a bad-natured way and they're going to blame the players. But eventually, if the players have a unified message, if they have a union that thinks about this action ahead of time and they say, we're not playing until owner does X... Well, then the onus is now on the owner to do X, or there's going to be no baseball. And the only thing that the only thing that the baseball community hates more than Rob Manfred is when there's when there's no baseball on. So, <laughs> oh yeah, because I remember over the summer or the beginning of summer, I guess people were very upset at the players. Right? They were really upset at the players. Um, you know, you're greedy. No, no, no. You're looking yeah. at this the wrong way. Yeah. Um, so it's all bad. It's all bad. <laughs> but I want to say this. You can't, I think, so like the NBA and MOB, there's like one big difference. And that is the demographic. And I feel like for the NBA, it's a little unfair for those guys when you, when not you specifically, you generally say, okay, well, what are you going to do now? It's yeah. not up to these black guys to, you know, disassemble racism after all these years. But what they are doing is letting you know that, you know, if you continue to participate in it, they aren't going to play. I would have liked to have seen both, well, all of the strikes last a little longer maybe a good week like people needed to feel it a couple years ago i was on um another podcast and i said that i think that we needed a year without sports and everyone thought i was absolutely absolutely just losing it like people were like shakia what are you talking about i'm like Sports serve as a distraction, so much so that people ignore the real world things that happen in them just so sports can continue. I mean, it happens in every instance. Look at when a player is, you know, alleged to have abused his significant other, right? Like, no one is like, stop the game, get the abuser out. Like, but if we stopped the game and got the abusers out, we could do some good. And Kyrie Irving was right. <laughs> like, sports are a distraction. This would have been the perfect time to just not have it. And the strikes should have been longer, but I can't really fault, you know, the guys involved, the players, the athletes involved completely. Because, you know, I'm sure there was some nudging somewhere like, you know, or they felt like some potential threat loomed for them. Um, they need to be more empowered. Um, maybe there needs to be more education on the power of their labor. Uh, maybe they should all do some research on Kurt Flood. Um, because 
he's their ancestor. That is where they should start. And I mean that for every sport. It's there. We just need to be able to share the education, share the knowledge. And, you know, maybe the three of us should become best friends with some professional athlete and just push them as left as we can on these things. And, you know, maybe we can make a difference. Maybe we need a Colin Kaepernick in, you know, in every sport, because look what happened with him, radicalized him. And (laughs) he is changing the world. That's what we need. Yes. Now, I mean, look, Roger Goodell said he should have listened. Can you imagine? (laughs) Like if Manfred was like, you know what? Bruce Maxwell (laughs) was right. Listen, buddy. Uh, Like, uh, I'm laughing because I just, uh, you can't be super serious all the time about this stuff. But like, just think about it. If Rob Manfred stood on TV with that extremely dope black and white MOB logo that I kind of should hate. The woke grayscale. Our friend Bradford William Davis. The woke grayscale. (laughs) Um, And just was like, you know what, Bruce? Sorry. Yeah. Can I say one last thing about Manfred and I promise this won't turn into a bashing of Rob Rob Manfred. (laughs) He is just not equipped to do that. Like, charismatically, personally conversationally he doesn't have the tools in his arsenal to have a conversation about anti-racism in front of the entire world he barely has the tools to have a conversation about like labor in front of the entire world you know and he's a labor lawyer so i just wish that and i know why this isn't the case because owners don't want someone in this position who's actually going to accept radical thinking but like i just wish that it was a prerequisite of the the positions of power in baseball, the commissioner of baseball, it was a prerequisite to be able to have these conversations, to think about these things. Like Rob Manfred is not the person to lead us out of this. He's just not. And he's never going to be because this is not what he's spent his life working on. He hasn't done the work. And I, I feel comfortable saying that because nothing he's ever done or said has led me to believe that he's done the work. Look, I don't know if he's read abolitionist theory stuff. I don't know. I can't say that he hasn't. I've never spent time with him. But I'm willing to guess that he hasn't read Our Prisons Obsolete. I wish that like that position was reserved for people who were willing to actually have conversations about like sociocultural aspects of the game that need fixing as well. Not just like technocrat dudes who have appeased the owners for long enough that they're going to get put in there as a puppet. And so that brings us back to like, like the loop of anti-capitalism again. Shakia. So like, like, what you're <laughs> saying is you think that I just want to make sure I, I got this right. A white guy should acknowledge that he doesn't know something and then he should put people around him who do know those things so that he can learn those things and treat people better. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> that is a, that's a lot to ask. I mean, that's a, that's a lot. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard, but <laughs> It's all about doing the work. I feel like I I I agree with you. I don't think he's read our prisons absolutely. Um <laughs> Do you think Rob Manfred knows who Bell Hooks is? Like, do you think he has any idea? Like No. 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 Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I would be surprised if if he knew anything about any part of liberation in any <laughs> sense. Like, I mean, sometimes I don't get the impression that the union knows how to be a union like 
So it's a. <laughs> I'm ready for this take. I'm ready for this take. I just, I just, mm. <laughs> I'm holding it in so bad. Like, <laughs> I, I just think that this league, there's just so many holes. There's so many gaps. There's so many places that like we can see that can clearly use some work, but that would involve a lot of people admitting that they don't know what they're doing, that they got their job because they knew somebody or they went to the right school. Yeah. Um, and that's too much like, right. Yeah. Well, I think that we should start by um, enacting eminent domain on all 30 baseball teams and taking them back and they can be collectively owned by the fans in their local markets. And then we can actually hold the people who are in power accountable. What do you say? That feels attainable, right? Um, absolutely. Cause we're going to rename it the Jake immediately. <laughs> no, I'm totally down. Um, I like to joke about, uh, overthrowing things, but I'm with it. But yeah. We're, we're real on this one. Yeah, yeah. I'm with it. I'm with it. Like Rob Manfred cares more about, you know, things like putting a runner on second in extras exactly exactly and that's what i mean by like the technocrat dude who just like knows the right people and made the right people happy is like now running the league like he is doing this he's just like enacting his dream of changing baseball for the sake of changing baseball as opposed to like changing baseball to make it like a more inclusive and equitable place so is he thanos (laughs) wait i I can't follow that you lost me here's why i said that because, like, I obviously have been caught up in Marvel, like most people right now. Um, but, like, think about it. What Thanos wanted to do wasn't necessary. Like, <laughs> it, just, it just wasn't necessary. He was like, I'm just going to destroy 50% of the world because I feel that it would be better this way. And yeah. that is what Rob Manfred is doing to baseball. I feel it would be better if it went 35 seconds faster and if the result of any game that went into extras is completely impacted by this one change like if if you're willing to blow up the game that way why not just say you know hey we're gonna be done with racism in this thing like that's i just yeah Thanos would have been much more interesting if instead of doing like the mass genocide thing, he was just like, I think that we should redistribute all of the wealth of the galaxy. And then it would have been a more compelling story for me, except it would have been tough because then he would have lost in the end to the Avengers. And um, mm-hmm. then that would have reinforced some things that well, I don't want to I mean, you could just rewrite it. I mean, I'm not sure people would be happy with a story where Thanos the end game where Thanos wins. And- <laughs> This is a film podcast now. <laughs> I mean, I always say something incredibly ridiculous on this podcast. Let's just keep I love it. That. This time it was that Rob Manfred is Thanos. Um, and I don't even know where that came from or why that came out, but I made it work. Um, I, I respect that. Like, uh, this whole place is a mess. <laughs> like, the whole thing is a mess. Well, the... The last thing I'll say on on Manfred is I think he is mostly a useful idiot for the owners, but I think that we can make him into a useful idiot for us because he doesn't, he's not slick with the PR. I think a more savvy uh, 
commissioner would be able to be like, yeah, we're talking, we're doing some, you know, like at least Manfred doesn't pretend. He's like writings on the wall, you know, <laughs> like I think we can turn some fans against him. I think we You're can like, make So what do you happen. think about the history of racist policing and how it affects the communities that are fans of MLB? And he's like, I think that the runner on second rule is working very well this year. And you're like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, <laughs> I think that we should start should the game him. an hour later. <laughs> I would love if someone asked him that in an interview. Like, you just put that in my... I realize that, you know, it's about access and that's why he doesn't get asked hard questions. Yeah. Because, you know, someone will lose their access. I know that Jen said that with you all as well. Like... Yeah, we need we need someone, we need a journalist who is willing to take that hit. We need a, a white journalist who's like, you know what? I'm willing to lose my access just to get out here and put this man on blast. I have two suggestions. Someone's got to do it. And they're both um, the journalists that are allowed to do the sideline reporting during the World Series. You know, those I, two those two very powerful white journalists who just get all of the access all of the time. Okay, Shakia. If you have the energy for it, one final question. I wanted to ask you before we let you out of here because um, it seems like every time the trade deadline rolls around, the Cleveland baseball team is floating Francisco Lindor's name to a different team. (laughs) I just want to give you the space to speak your piece about why it turns out every single six... Why every six months, it turns out that the Dodgers are very close to landing Francisco Lindor. Because the love of your life, the baseball love of your life, we should say, for folks me. who have not, for folks who have not listened to Shakia on this podcast before. Um, so I think it's especially interesting right now, right? Because Cleveland is in first place, so I'm not sure now is the appropriate time to uh, trade him. And I mean, Francisco Lindor wants Mookie Betts money. Mm. And so I feel like that's why people keep wanting to send them to LA because they seem like they are a team, you know, who just spends and spends and spends. But mostly I just think it's because baseball hates me. Um, I'm not allowed joy in Cleveland. Like think about how frequently joy is snatched from Cleveland sports fans. Just think about that for a second. Right. And I mean, right there it'll be right there and then the rain will come (laughs) and that'll be that Um, yeah there's there's a memo that goes around the commissioner's office it's like shake's looking a a little too uh a little too happy on the timeline today we got a someone someone float a lindor (laughs) trade rumor it never fails and it's always to a team that i would absolutely not jump to like never a team that i would be like ah they're gonna lose so i root for them like (laughs) it's never that team it's always like oh lindor to the yankees and i'm like why why would you do that why where where like the lindor to the white Sox rumors like give me like or lindor to the mariners i don't know if those are good eyes or bad eyes but (laughs) lindor to the white Sox would send me home to elizabeth like i would absolutely (laughs) have a heart attack uh, because my friend Herb, he adds me on Twitter, if you ever have seen it, whenever he says, uh, he calls the baseball team the Lindians. Um, <laughs> says, you know, Lindor to the White Sox. And I'm like, please stop adding me in this. Please 
just be a real friend and don't do this. Don't destroy my joy. <laughs> um, we don't get very much joy, so don't take that away from me. Lindora to the Yankees is the single most cursed timeline I could possibly imagine in Major League Baseball. Like, Crush my soul. I mean, to have to root against him, to have to be like, I dislike you now, would crush me. I can't even imagine how it would feel for you. So here's the thing. I would go super hard at it. Like, that's the thing. Like, I... I don't, I'm terrible at holding grudges unless it's about sports. Then I can just, I mean, granted, it would totally be, you know, Cleveland's fault if they lose him. They yeah. seem to be really willing to lose him. But I would just be so upset. I would be so upset. I would probably actively not watch baseball for a little bit just to get my feelings together. I would be so hurt. I mean, this is a player who, this is a franchise player. This is a guy you want in your town, right? So much so that, so Frankie rides his bike to the ballpark and people in Cleveland, they're like, hey, here's a reason to give us better bike lanes right here. And I'm like- yeah, the, the spokesperson for it. <laughs> yes. Like, that's what you need. I mean, baseball is supposed to be fun. Don't steal my joy. Don't send them to the Dodgers, even in your tweets. Don't do that to me. <laughs> Dear Jackie, Francisco Lindor was traded to the Yankees today. This is, things are worse than ever before and ever imagined. I love that you think I would be that calm in the letter. <laughs> hey, Jackie. This some bullshit. <laughs> like, that's how I would have to start. Well, if um, if Cleveland does fuck this up for you, and you ever want a place to come on and ceremonially renounce your fandom of the Cleveland baseball team, we are your guys for that. Love it. Thanks for the invite, because I'm going to just cry. Shakia Taylor, writer, many places, baseball prospectus, one of them. Uh, do you want to let people know where they can find you, your work, anywhere they can follow you, anything that you want to let them know about coming up? Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at Curly Fro. Um, that's usually where I share the things for the most part. Um, lately, I've been writing at Baseball Prospectus the most. So uh, subscribe, check it out, um, and tweet me. Okay, thank you to Shakia Taylor. Thank you for um, for giving us a new t-shirt idea. Rob Manfred is Thanos. <laughs> put it it's on gonna, a t-shirt. It's gonna happen. Put it on a t-shirt. Yes. If someone out there in the world says put it on a t-shirt and it has to do with baseball and Rob Manfred, somehow, like the, the rules of the universe state that you and I have to put it on a t-shirt. Absolutely. Yeah, well, also, if anyone out there um, just has a chunk of change lying around and maybe happens to even own a, uh, a t-shirt printing press, um, you know, hit us up. Hit our line. We, have a, we, have a, we have a business proposition for you that may get you sued. It, 
<laughs> How could you say no? It turns out um, that most third-party t-shirt printers don't want to risk the copyright wrath of Major League Baseball and its um its cadre of lawyers. So yeah, this, this must uh, we're end. Out this political of, correctness must end. We, yeah, seriously. We are out two out of three of the t-shirt designs that we put up just last week. Which is this unfortunate. This is cancel culture. We're being this canceled. This is literally, yeah. This is literally, this is absurd. All of these uh, snowflake businesses can't handle their copyright being infringed upon. <laughs> you know what? Major League Baseball 100% can handle their copyright being infringed, infringed upon. If there is an organization that can handle it, it's it's this one. Except that Major League Baseball, like the 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 reason that they've been rolling out for why they can't get rid of the racist Cleveland logo is because they need to keep the copyright to it so that nobody else starts selling it. That has never really clicked logically for me, by the way. If we could just get on a small tangent before we do three <laughs> up, three down, and then get out of here. I know it's already late. We, we had a long conversation with, with Shakia. But how is that the reason that you can't change it? You need to keep selling the racist logo so that other people can't keep selling the racist logo? Well, if anyone's going to be doing the racism around here, it's going to be me, all right? It's Buddy. like when... It's like when... Um, it's like when the the DEA confiscates like all of the drugs and then just holds them in a room. <laughs> like yeah. you guys can't be get, having the drugs out there on the street, so we're gonna keep all of the illegal drugs right here, and did, nobody's gonna take them for sure. Like Twenty One Jump Street. <laughs> okay, oh, uh, should we gosh. do three or three down? Let's let's do it. We got some good ones this week. Let's start with up. I I'm gonna make that executive decision. Even though the listener didn't hear that I just edited out the part where Alex actually asked to start with up. So I'm making the call. Let's start with up. (laughs) (laughs) You go first. First up on my list is just like a fun baseball thing. Lucas Giolito threw no hitter this week. Oh my God, I forgot. I forgot about that too. But here we are. This is just like no hitters are fun. I'm it. It's fun amid everything else that is happening to see fans to see fan bases like kind of rallying together and celebrating like just objectively good things that happen in baseball i'm a fan of that we should have more no hitters if only just to you know bring us together and shit that's what we need no hitters reach across the aisle. <laughs> they, they literally do. <laughs> um, 13 strikeouts, one walk, had every pitch working. You know, the one that I kept coming back to and watching again was the change up high and away to Cole Tucker that he just kind of waved at. That didn't look great on that swing, Cole Tucker. Whole Pirates <laughs> lineup, not looking great this year. That's okay. They're 9 and 20. They have more wins than I thought the Orioles would get this whole year. <laughs> <laughs> and the Orioles are like 15 and 17. I don't know. Um, good one. I like that one. My first up this week is that the San Diego Padres are all in, baby. Let's do it. Let's yeah, ride. We're recording this on Sunday it's afternoon. Trevor Rosenthal. <laughs> it's 2020. <laughs> Trevor Rosenthal, game changer. Now, um, we're recording this obviously Sunday evening, Sunday late afternoon Pacific time. So the trade deadline has not happened yet. So what you mentioned at the beginning of this podcast about news happening right after we finish recording is by definition going to happen again to us this week. But but like you said, you don't come to us for news, but you come to us for 
I don't know why you come to us. But this week, what's giving me joy is that the Padres are just going all in. They see an opportunity in front of them. And it's not just that they're going all in this trade deadline. You know, you joke. They got Trevor Rosenthal. They got Mitch Moreland. They got Jason Castro. They're not knocking down the house with these moves by any means. However, it is part of a larger, longer running thing that the Padres have given a shit about winning baseball games. They care about winning baseball games, which is more than you can say in a five-year window, in the last five-year window, than a lot of baseball teams. The top priority isn't getting a year of service time back on Fernando Tatis Jr. The top priority is not avoiding signing free agents because the back window of their value might not be a great value proposition for your franchise. The top yeah, priority. My, my favorite player is surplus value. That's yeah. my favorite. Second only, I think, to financial flexibility. Yeah, which is the I really, love. I mean, obviously. I mean, financial flexibility brings it every game. Yeah. Surplus value is. I, I mean, he's hit or miss. He might have an off game here or there, but financial flexibility, financial flexibility is the Cal yeah. Rep All-star year of, in and year out. Yeah, exactly. So I, it's part of a larger thing, but I'm happy that the Padres are all in because. Like reward your fan base, reward the excitement that your fan base shows you. You know, you lucked into Tatis Jr. You didn't know he was going to be this great. I don't care what you say. You didn't know he was going to be this great. And he is this great. And because of that, because of the way that you've built your team and it's working out and your fan base is reciprocating that energy, that love for the team, you show them the respect that they have earned by following your shitty franchise for the last two decades. And that that makes me happy. That brings me joy. How about you? Number two. Number two, just prospects in general. Hella prospects, just like getting called up this year. Major <laughs> League Baseball teams are just kind of like <laughs> players. Okay. Players make me happy, bro. Players, players bring me joy. <laughs> just when they're swinging at the ball, you know, it comes through the zone and they're like, dang, I can do something with that one. That's what I like. No, uh, it feels like. I think because of some of the strange roster rules this year, teams feel like they maybe have a little more strange roster rules. And also the, the, the fact that it, the playoffs are a little bit more of a crapshoot right now. Um, teams, I think, feel emboldened to just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And so we're getting a lot of prospects being called up, I think, in a really small window of time. You have guys like Joe Adele who hit Two home runs last night. Thank you, God, because my guy was looking not good at the plate beforehand. Uh, Joey Bart. Estevan Florial, who was immediately sent back down, I think, after after one game. But Death to the Yankees. Yeah. You know, half a dozen pitchers on the Marlins, right? Like, I enjoy this. Sixto Sanchez. Good God. Man can throw a baseball. Yeah, he's in, in the in the right direction most of the time. Yeah. So I I'm enjoying this. I wish that baseball gave us nice things like this to celebrate more often, you know? Because it's fun when you get to watch good baseball players. Much as I like service time manipulation, which is my third favorite player, right? I guess that's surplus value right there. Much as I love surplus value. They're like two sides of the same coin, you know, like they could both play second base or shortstop. And they're very, <laughs> they're very flexible. They have a lot of utility in that way. Uh, yeah. It's just like when baseball teams are more, mostly just interested in putting an entertaining product on the field, 
shockingly, it's just a more entertaining sport to watch. Number two for me, the Oakland Athletics. Not just not not generally, specifically something that they are doing, and that is trying to amass a war chest of semi-anonymous, above-average, flexible contact hitters. <laughs> Hell yeah! They have Robbie Grossman, they have Tony Kemp, they have Mark Canna, all of these kind of nameless dudes. I mean, obviously, their best player is Matt Chapman, who is fantastic both both defensively and offensively. Though he's not having a great year at the plate. And then they go out and they trade for Tommy Listella. The commitment to the bit from the A's of just getting dudes that are slightly above average and them playing slightly above their own heads while having very good pitching and a very good bullpen. I like it. I like people being on brand, as listeners of this podcast will know, since I think the real reason people just come to this podcast every week is because we are always on brand and they know what they're going to get. We're tipping our pitches in that way. We do. We tip our pitches every week. That's bring a f- full circle. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you do what you know works, right? Like and in this people- case, it's trading for Tommy LaStella. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, on, also Franklin Barreto has been freed. I just want to say that too. I've, I, I hope the, the angels just throw him out there and let him sink or swim. You know, dude needs 200 at bats. Let's see what he's got. Yeah. Okay. What's third for you? Third for me is, uh, and I, I know you have some some Mets content in your in your down, so I don't want to scoop you on anything too much. But third for me is a very um, specific thing, and that is uh, J Lo's tweet uh, announcing <laughs> J Lo's tweet announcing that uh, that her and Alex Rodriguez no longer would be in the running to, to buy the Mets. I just would like to, to read this to you real quick. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to read to you the, the statement itself, the, the, the f- photographed statement. This is the tweet. This is what she wrote. That's it. That's the tweet. Alex and I are so disappointed. We worked so hard the past six months with the dream of becoming the first minority couple and the first woman owner to buy her father's favorite Major League Baseball team with her own hard-earned money. We still haven't given up. Hashtag New York forever. (laughs) So wait, would she be the first woman owner or would she just be the first woman owner who bought her father's favorite team with her own hard-earned money? qualifiers there yeah (laughs) um also guys uh read the room a little bit (laughs) i'm i am really sorry that you weren't able to buy your father's favorite baseball team with your own hard-earned money that sucks i get it that's a bummer um there is an eviction crisis looming right now um, how is we, this? How is this? You're up. You're talking about an eviction crisis. <laughs> I, I just, once again, as Shakia said, sometimes it's so absurd. You, you just have to laugh. You just have to laugh. You know, billionaires. They've. That's what they. That's the purpose they serve. Some comedic relief. Yeah, I agree. Um. Okay. My final up is I was really struggling. Really struggling this week to come up with the third up. <laughs> the third up for me, and this is something that I was thinking about um, in the follow-up to when we recorded our episode with Jess last weekend. Um, it brings me joy to think about returning to a baseball game. 
to think about going back to a stadium with you, with my other friends that nobody <laughs> listening to this podcast knows, so it's not worth naming them, <laughs> with my family, you know? I've been thinking about that a lot this week because I think I'm getting to the point that people were at at month like two of this pandemic. And I think that's for a lot of reasons. Number one, I'm not like a, I don't like go out and club. Number two, so like I'm not missing that really, you know. Number two, I live here with my partner. So it's, I'm very fortunate in that way that I'm close to someone that I love. Number three, I still am lucky enough to do my job very similarly to I, to how I was before this. You know, I don't go to the studio or whatever, but we still do pods. And so, like, I think the point that people got to where they were just, like, stir-crazy wanting to get out of their apartment at all costs and everything felt terrible. Like, I'm starting to get to that point now, Alex, in month, month, month six or seven. I don't know when I'm going to see you again. I don't know when I'm going to see my parents again. You know, like, I don't know when I'm going to go back to a baseball game. So the one carrot is that I can think about that feeling of going through the gates, scanning your ticket, and the very nice person who scanned the ticket for you is like, welcome to the ballpark. And you had you beeline Enjoy it. Enjoy your game. And, and you you're beeline like, I will, it. sir. Yeah, I will. S- slightly older than I would have expected, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you beeline it straight to the concession stands. You pay seventeen fifty for a Bud Heavy. <laughs> you go back to your seat, you pull the sunflower seeds out of your pocket, and you don't have to worry about contracting a deadly virus. <laughs> I, the thought of it just brings me joy. Imagine yeah. what it would be like for us to sit at a baseball game just watching the shittiest baseball game of all time. Worst baseball game ever. Imagine how good that would fucking feel right now. In the rain, I don't even care. Rain delay? Bring it all on. I'm ready. I need that. Yeah. That idea yes. brings me joy. 100%. I'm I'm all I'm all in on that. I'm all in on daydreaming about just being able to watch a bad baseball team play bad baseball in person. It's That'd not even fun. like I'm not even That'd daydreaming cool. about like the Mets winning the World Series. Like I don't even want that anymore. Fuck the yeah. Mets. Yeah. Like I want to watch the the fucking the Phillies like lose to the Pirates like, you know, 8 to 2 blowout game. Like I was excited to see Aaron Nola and he didn't even make it out of the third. So now it's a fucking <laughs> bullpen game. And it's just like, Jesus, should we go? Should we beat the traffic? <laughs> yeah. I'm excited for that too. Okay. Let's go to our downs now. Um, okay. First down on my list this week. My, my first up was Lucas Giolito's no hitter. The thing that takes away my joy is the idea that every no-hitter or perfect game has like one or two magical plays, you know? The play that saves the game. And these plays are uniquely incredible because of like the moment that they're in. Every baseball game has a good play. Did you know that SportsCenter does like top 10 web gems? They, they crank this stuff out. Like they can do it nightly if they want to, you know, like baseball players make good plays all the time. And I'm not trying to knock any specific good play. Although I will say Tim Anderson 
made a made a really nice running play on a on a slow chopper and he had to throw across his body and Jose Abreu had to had to pick it out first. It was a it's a good play. I mean, he's a major league baseball player, so he's good at making those kind of plays. I I imagine he's made he has made better plays this week. And the White Sox announcer says something to the akin of, oh, well, you know, whenever there's a special night like tonight, you're going to see one of those. A ground ball to the shortstop? That's what we're tuning in for? This is my favorite 60 seconds that you've ever shared. So what's taking your baseball joy this week is the idea that a good play happened in a no-hitter? So just the idea that it's exceptional that a good play I think, happens. I think it's the the idea. Yes, exactly. Good plays are awesome. I am all down to celebrate it. And oftentimes these are plays that might save the game, right? Like I like I understand that. But I think I Fuck just, your I little just get, webcam. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. You 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 threw the ball across your body, you know? <laughs> I'm like, damn. Is it taking That's... your baseball joy because like the spotlight should be on Giolito or just because like it's corny? I think it's I think it's more just the corny aspect. I don't like I don't care about the like, you know, good plays are good plays. I enjoy watching good plays. Tim Anderson made a nice play. That was great, you know. But I think I think it's just kind of this uh this mystique you know, that we love to like project onto the game where it's like, oh, and then there was a great play by Tim Anderson. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. He, he had his teammates back. Like he does this shit day in and day out. Like it's tight. You don't have to pretend that this was unique, a uniquely special play because it's a no hitter and a no hitter has always has a special play. It's like, yeah, bro, this (laughs) happens every day. Okay, I can see it. It's kind of how I feel about momentum, where like yeah. you just cherry pick the moment where you were like the momentum shifted. It's like that could have happened, and then the like three plays later, the momentum could have shifted back, or it could have just been the sequence of events that happened to happen. Yeah, exactly. Did the momentum shift, or did they just hit a home run? Or yeah, or did because, you just pay because attention? it's a it's a baseball game. Yeah, I know. Um. Okay. What is <laughs> so funny? I'm sorry. What is first down for you this week? I've been avoiding this for a long time, Alex. Okay. I've been avoiding doing the Mets fan thing where I absolutely just tear into a player who I know probably doesn't deserve it as a human, probably doesn't deserve it as a baseball player. But just because by nature of being on the Mets and they lose in fantastic fashion all of the time, catches a lot of ire. And that oh, player <sighs> is Edwin Diaz. Yeah. For the last year plus, I feel like I have been very measured in my critiques of Edwin <laughs> Diaz. Yes, he's blown a lot of games. Yes, it's been very unfortunate. Yes, I've said he probably shouldn't be the closer. Yes, I've said that he's been affected more than anyone by the juiced ball. And I've said that the trade makes me very sad to observe Jared Kellenick turning into fucking Babe Ruth 2.0. <laughs> I'm not even going to talk about that right now. But this week, 
The thing that's sapping my baseball joy is the New York Mets in general, yes. Edwin Diaz specifically, yes. But just the last five days in New York Mets fandom. And I want to start with Edwin Diaz because I just can't watch him on the Mets anymore. I just can't do it. I can't do it. It's not healthy, man. It's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for the Mets. It's not healthy for Edwin Diaz. They just need to part ways. Sometimes it just gets like this. Sometimes a change of scenery is what's needed. I feel like that's completely made up. Like That's exactly what you were talking about in the last thing. A change of scenery is needed. But maybe a change of scenery is needed. I don't know. Maybe a different team can tell him something that the Mets don't know. And he can get good again. But that's never going to happen here. It's never going to happen in Queens unless you're willing to wait a year or two years. And I can't do it anymore. I can't do it. This is We're recording a couple hours after the Mets blew a five-run lead with one out in the final inning against the New York Yankees. And he was a large part of that. He came in the game with two outs up four or up three, I should say. And he promptly gave up a wild pitch to score one run and then a two-run home run to Aaron Hicks to tie the game. And I just can't do it. I just can't do it. It's not healthy. I know I keep saying that, but it is a toxic relationship with me trying to justify my positive feelings toward Edwin Diaz because he seems like he's a nice guy and I defended the trade at the time and everything that I watch about him should lead me to believe that he's good, but he's just not. He's just not good. He's not good on the Mets. He's never going to be good on the Mets and they need to part ways. They need to trade him. I don't care who they trade him for. They could trade him to the Phillies and he could become the next Mariano Rivera. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care. I can't do it anymore. The Diaz thing is really hard, I think, because that pain is twofold, right? It's, it's pain in the moment because you're like Edwin Diaz just blew, you know, his 12th save of the week somehow. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. And that specifically He's already blown three saves this year and he hasn't even been the closer the whole time. (laughs) That's actually really funny. But yeah, then there's the broader pain that you alluded to about the trade, right? And like knowing the weight that he's carrying and knowing that it's like you were going to be the guy, right? And for a long time was was like the best closer in baseball, right? So like knowing not only his track record, but then what you you as a Mets fan or you more broadly as the New York Metropolitans gave up to get him. Right. I mean, it's like that, that was kind of the part of the struggle of like watching Franklin Barreto over the last three or four years is I'm kind of like, all right, guys, we gave up our goddamn MVP to get him. Can we give him a shot? You know, and that alone is that's sunk cost though, dude. That's fucking... Let's learn about the stock market again. Welcome to stock market hour. Absolutely. Well, you know what? That Josh Donaldson trade turned into Tommy LaStella, so I'm not not mad about it. Josh Donaldson for Tommy LaStella today. Who says no? (laughs) Who says no? (laughs) And then, okay, so we need to move off the Mets because this is not a Mets podcast and people listening are not Mets fans and they don't care what I fucking feel or think. But... I do. We can't go this whole podcast without talking about the Brody Van Wagen and video. I know. I know, I know. <laughs> what the fuck happened? It's such a tire fire. And I, should we explain, like, to the listeners what happened? Because we were talking about this in a very. It is a. It's a somewhat nebulous thing to even talk about, right? Yes. But, but Brody Van Wagen in Mets GM was caught, caught on, on a hot, hot mic. mic. Big month for hot mics. Was caught on a hot mic before a Mets press conference 
saying that the Mets were planning on boycotting the game with the Marlins. They were planning on striking during the game with the Marlins. And Rob Manfred called and suggested that instead of striking and not playing the game entirely, they should wait an hour and come back out and play the game. Yeah, as a show some of, bullshit like as a like show publicity of, stunt yeah yeah and because it was so hard to reschedule all of these games because of all of the games that aren't being played because of covid which is insane <laughs> stop protesting police brutality because we want to play baseball during a pandemic and it's really hard so the whole baseball world thought that that was rob manfred who said that it came out later that brody was wrong and that that directive had come from jeff wilpon not from Rob Manfred. Don't know how that really. Don't know the machinations of that from Brody's perspective. But Which I I actually don't believe. But that's a you know that's another thing. Oh my god! You want to go full conspiracy? You want to go full that conspiracy? Wilpon is taking I, the fall for Rob. Uh yes. Yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, I mean the okay, okay. Finish it came, your. It came out that that Jeff Wilpon was actually the one that said that they should come out and play an hour later, and. They, then the Wilpons released all of these statements being like, we don't, uh, Jeff never said that, but this was a mischaracterization and a misunderstanding from Brody. We're disappointed that our GM would say this in front of a microphone, all of these things. And Brody is fucked. He's definitely going to get fired day after the season ends and they're going to clean house. Yeah, but you think I, that actually Rob Manfred was the one who sent this directive down. Yeah. Okay. First off, Brody spoke the truth, right? Brody said, at a managerial level, Rob Manfred just doesn't get it, right? He doesn't, he doesn't have that leadership quality or whatever. Which Brody, go the fuck off. You know? Come on, come on the pod. We we've got we've got Brody, all the hot we've Brody, got all come the hot on mics pitches. The mic is always hot here, my friend. Second, I it feels bizarre to me that Brody would just mix yeah. up where that directive comes from. Like it feels almost too clean and it's a sword that the Wilpons are willing to fall on because the Wilpons are, are selling out of the here team soon anyway. Today, like they are selling the team as we speak. Yes. They are literally in the middle of selling the team. So, like, who gives a shit, right? Like, Rob Manfred has more to lose by looking like a total jackass and forcing the Mets to do this PR stunt. The Wilpons have no goodwill with Mets fans to lose at this point, right? Like, but Manfred still has an image to maintain. So, I totally believe. That that directive came from Manfred, and the Wilpons are like, sure, we'll fall on this sword for you. Why not? The Wilpons. That's my take. The Wilpons have fallen on so many swords of their own making. They've planted so many swords in the ground and tripped right into them. But it doesn't even matter if they fall on Rob's sword at this point. Yeah, I love that take. Um, okay, that's everything on the Mets. <laughs> I think it's obvious that's why fir- that your first down. <laughs> Well, I think that that's obvious why that saps my baseball joy, right? Because, like, it's so hard to continually get up the energy. It takes fucking energy to watch a baseball game. In a pandemic, no fans. It's weird. We're trying to morally justify it in our heads all of the time, which we've talked about out loud on this podcast very frequently. Just to watch a baseball game normally is hard. But when the Mets are blowing it on the field in fantastic fashion and blowing it off the field in even more fantastic fashion, it just fucking, it just sucks. It sucks. It's hard to be joyous about the New York Mets right now. Although I should have said for my, in one of my three ups, and I guess it doesn't really bring me joy, so it doesn't really fit the construct of the segment. However, it does bring me pride to root for someone like Dom Smith every, every day and every week. In every game, 
because Dom Smith actually is out there laying his heart on the sleeve on his sleeve for what he believes in, protesting police brutality, walking off the field with his teammates, and being so open and so vulnerable with his with his emotions and his trauma in front of these cameras, in front of the very same zoom cameras that Brody was caught on, talking about Rob Manfred. And Don Smith is amazing. That's all I got to say. Okay, we should move on because that was like a 17 minute down. <laughs> That's okay. I will, uh, I'll keep mine quick. Um, Oakland A is got a COVID test, baby. It's that time of the week. Your COVID team of the week sponsored by Rollades is the Oakland Sponsored Athletics. by Airborne. <laughs> uh, it was going to happen. It's going to happen eventually. Like we talked about last week and I think the week before and probably the week before that, this is just how it's going to be. Yeah. Just going to have to push through this, live with this and kind of live with the idea that it may be worse than we realize behind the scenes because we really only hear about the players and nothing of organizational personnel. Um, But I think you mentioned this at the Mets last week. It just feels weird. It feels weird and close to home and i once again i think this is a case where it's obvious how this saps my joy from watching baseball i completely agree um it's weird that it was our teams back to back but the a's and mets are always tied in strange ways um okay are you ready for my second down yes (sighs) mckinsey consulting firm I feel like, God, I can't. We can't get away from this. We can't get away from the weird quirks of late capitalism wrapping their tentacles around our sport. But if you don't know, it was um, reported last week in the Athletic before A Rod and J Lo had dropped out. Like Alex mentioned at the beginning of this segment, it was reported that A Rod had met with Jeff Lunau disgraced former general manager of the Houston Astros and talked to him about how he overhauled the Astros into what they are now and the benefits of contracting with a consulting firm like McKinsey, which is one of the big consulting firms in the United States, along with Deloitte and some others that I don't really care to know. But it was actually reported later in the Daily News that A-Rod and J-Lo meeting with Lunau was one of the final straws in their bid for the Mets being disqualified or whatever, them not choosing their bid for the Mets. And which is funny how that works. But the idea that you could watch what happened in Houston in the last 10 years and think that they're good because of McKinsey is an absolute unmitigated joke. It's a joke. You think that they're good at baseball because of McKinsey consulting firm? You think that th- that they taught the roving hitting coaches how to teach Correa, Springer, and Altuve how to hit a baseball? Did McKinsey tell them to trade for Justin Verlander, best pitcher of his generation at the trade deadline? Did McKinsey say you should place the trash can here, not here? You yeah. Know? Like honestly, maybe. Like McKinsey is McKinsey's influence is this. The Astros don't have any human scouts anymore. The Astros want to contract their minor league system. The Astros don't want to pay minor leaguers more. 
the Astros want to pride efficiency above human interest. That is what McKinsey told them. McKinsey didn't tell them, this is how you make a good baseball team. Sorry. They just didn't. They didn't invent the Rapsodo machine and then send it to Houston. Like, all of their player dev wasn't because of McKinsey. And that's all I have to say about that. Like, I'm so, so sick of talking about super efficient consulting brain and how it, like, helps baseball teams. Like, get the fuck out of here. Like, you need a third party to tell you that <laughs> Carlos Correa is good at baseball. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. See, the, see the ball, hit the ball, baby. That's my consulting for you. Yeah. Did, um... Did McKinsey devise a way to hit a bunch of home runs off Clayton Kershaw in the World Series? Like, no. So, shut up. Goodbye. We don't need McKinsey in baseball. <laughs> Ban it. Society has progressed fast, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Okay. What's your final down? The final thing down for me this week that is sapping my baseball joy was an article that was published in the the newspaper, the Los Angeles Times, this past week. And uh, it was written by Bill Shaken. And it was an interview with the commissioner of Major League Baseball, uh, Rob Manfred. And as they say, there's a lot to unpack there. We don't have time to get into much of it. And frankly, a good chunk of it was actually pretty boring because, you know, I mean, the dude knows his PR, right? Like he knows, he knows how to not answer questions. He's a lawyer. He can dance around any topics and he's not going to say much um, that is stunningly controversial or get him caught in a gotcha moment. Um, however, I think my favorite part, which is a weird way of saying it because I know this is my down for me. Um, but at the very end, Bill asks Rob, and I have to give credit to Bill for this question mm-hmm. because it is, I, the, I, I would just love to have witnessed this uh, interaction. But Bill's question is essentially, um, a lot of fans think that you don't like baseball. Do you like baseball? That is was effectively his question. So Bill shouts out, thank you for <laughs> giving us fans a voice. Um, and Rob's answer is, you know, exactly like you would expect a real baseball fan to answer, which is there is no bigger baseball fan in the world than me. I watch games as my principal form of entertainment <laughs> whenever we're playing. That's your. Uh, that sounds like it's an email, but I know from listening to Manfred talk that it's not an email. Like he definitely 100%. said that out loud. I watch baseball as my principal form of entertainment. What do you do for your principal form of entertainment? I'm a I'm a purveyor of uh, fine brews that are that are often uh, crafted in uh, rare breweries. Um, <laughs> But I, but on, but on occasion, I do, I do like to um, indulge in, and consume a, a fine liqueur. Um, but yeah, principal purveyor of of brews. What a weirdo! Oh, my, what a what weirdo! A, what, a, what a weird guy! Just say, yeah, I'm a huge baseball fan. Do you think he could name a baseball player not named Mike Trout? Like, why not like name drop? Like, yes, Fernando I think he Tatis. Could name Chris Bryant. I think he could name Chris Bryant. 
Yes, probably. I think that he could been name in Chris one, one too many arbitration meetings at that guy. <laughs> Good God. Just okay. Yeah. Let me go to my final down this week. And we've already talked a lot about it. We've already made it into a bit on this year episode. So I won't spend too much time talking about it. But um, my final down this week is the concept of years of team control at the trade deadline. Because a lot of trades that you hear for young players that are about to get paid from the team that's trading them away is that they want to trade them away in order to get a good package in return. I'll just literalize this. If they're trading Mike Clevenger, they want to get back an outfielder because they have the, because Cleveland has terrible outfielders and they want to get back years of service, years of control. Now, what does that really mean? Because reporters don't really interrogate that very often. They don't say, why does Cleveland want to get back years of control for a young pitcher who's only arbitration eligible? He's not even a free agent yet. They want to get more years of control back because they want to exploit the first five years of players' labor and then flip them for someone else who they can then exploit the first five years of that player's labor. And then... And their little nirvana, they never actually have to fucking pay anyone any real fucking money. And that's exactly what they're going to do with Francisco Lindor. And they're going to do the, oh, they just traded away Francisco Lindor for 36 years of team control. Yay! So exciting! I'm sure that our friend Shakia Taylor, who just talked about this earlier in this show... We'll love that. I'm sure that there will be a lot of reciprocation from the fan base over that. So exciting. What's so stupid about this is that every single Major League Baseball team is thinking about it this way, right? So you're just like trading around players who you don't want to handle their years of team control. So some team's going to suck it up. So the Los Angeles Dodgers are going to be like, you don't want Francisco Lindor? Fine. We'll shell out for him. You don't want Mookie Betts? Okay. Don't really know why that's the case, but we'll go win a World Series title with him. You know, like Yeah. Because when you, you give yeah. that when you give these people the option to exploit a system, they're gonna exploit the system. That's just the type of people that are in baseball. That is the whole sabermetric analytic revolution of the front office was just a better way of saying owners got more aggressive about exploiting players' labor. Just like industrialization replaced other jobs in other industries. Like literally, no, like the owners, the the managers, the ownership class got smarter about how to pay less money to put a product on the field or in the general consumer's world that they still like enough to consume it, but are starting to realize that it's a shoddier product than it used to be. Yeah, they're like, wow, you know, if we just... If we just lock the doors to this place, they'll just keep working. Like, sh- shit, man. Yeah, we should keep them in there overnight. They'll produce even more for us. Yeah. Like- and it's shit like this. It's like filtering it out through reporters who are not willing to interrogate it. That makes me so frustrated and saps so much of my joy. And God, I just... Go on strike. Players, go on strike. When the CBA is over. Yeah. Go on strike. That's my favorite player right there. The strike. The player strike. <laughs> I mean, I think it's safe to say at this point, like, we have to root for a player strike. 
Anyway, we're now an hour two with the podcast, so you're getting the unfiltered, pure, unadulterated version of Bobby and Alex. That's it, right? That was all three of yours? Or you have one more? That's, no, that is it. That is everything. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for sticking around if you did indeed stick around. Marathon of a podcast. We packed a lot in. Went off the rails there a little bit near the end. It's fine. The brand is strong. The brand is very strong. Thank you for listening. If you are the owner and operator of an apparel shop that is willing to flout copyright rules of Major League Baseball, our DMs are open. And if you're not, if you're not one of those people, our DMs are still open. We answer almost all DMs as much as we can, as frequently as we can. And you can also email us with t-shirt business propositions or things that sap or add to your baseball joy at tippingpitchespot at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. So we'll see you next week. See ya!